A huge dinosaur fish has remained virtually unchanged for 100 million years. The white sturgeon, Asapenser transmontanus, is North America's largest freshwater fish. Join us today on our podcast to learn all about these unusual fish and how to fish for them. Hi, and welcome to the FBCC Nature Journal, the podcast for everyone who loves nature. We are coming to you from the beautiful campus of Flathead Valley Community College at the foot of the Swan Mountain Range of Northwest Montana, my favorite mountain range. I'm John Fraley, the longtime instructor in wildlife conservation here at the college, and I also served 40 years with the Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks. Our producer is Colin Burkhart, and thanks to Morgan Ray, the library director, for offering the library as our podcast home. Well, today we welcome again fisheries biologist Wade Fredenberg. Wade retired after serving in a number of fisheries positions across Montana, which we talked about on the last podcast a little bit. Wade, thanks for coming on again. Well, John, it's my pleasure. We've, we've been reminiscent a bit, but uh, <laughs> 45 years ago, I don't think either one of us thought we would be doing this. So, Isn't it amazing how you start out in college and you think, gosh, am I ever going to you know, rise to the level of all these professors and everybody around, and pretty soon you're there. Yeah. And they're all gone. And they're all gone. <laughs> Before you know it. So yeah. take it. You know, be, be confident when you're an undergrad and, and you know things are going to work out. So so today we're going to be talking about this gigantic white sturgeon. And you've seen a number of them, Wade, because you've actually fished for them. I've seen Missouri River sturgeon, but never these big Columbia sturgeon, Columbia River sturgeon. So tell us a little bit, describe it a little. We were showing Colin before we opened up the show that one that you caught was, how long was that one? Uh, it was about 11 feet. <laughs> What did you think of that? What you think it of was it was ridiculously big. Yeah, I was <laughs> I was quite surprised that there was even a fishing pole that could hold a fish that big. They have a formula. You can measure the length and then you measure the girth, and it gives you the weight. And that fish was estimated at five hundred and five pounds. Wow, we. I wonder how much caviar that would have had. <laughs> I think about like nine gallons in an average big big sturgeon. Well, imagine dragging that one home to to take home for dinner, John. It'd be like dragging an elk. <laughs> well, one thing we were talking about is Lewis and Clark found that the Chinook tribes, Chinookian tribes in the Lower Columbia, actually trolled for these monsters, and they traded these excellent tasting fish for medals from Lewis and Clark. <laughs> and the way they cooked them was. First of all, they removed the membranes and then salted the fillets. Then they put layers of fillets and boughs on hot rocks and poured water over the rocks and cooked it about an hour. And uh, Kath Lamette, who was one of the tribal members, exchanged sturgeon for, I think it was like an 11-foot sturgeon for a single metal. And it was described, This actually this fish was described by Lewis and Clark like a lot of the other animals, but it wasn't described formally until 1836 by Richardson. That was all that same problem they had with describing mammals, birds, and fish because they didn't write it up when they got back. So somebody else got to write it up. You so know, the, uh, the sturgeon, uh, I have caught some in the Columbia that were in a size range where you could keep them and ate them. They're like much like paddlefish and some of those other ancient fish. They almost have two types of meat. There's a, a very delicate white meat that is really tasty, and then there's a dark, oily kind of a meat that, for the most part, we don't eat. I'm curious whether the natives probably, they, they like stuff that was smelly and... Yeah and tasteful, so they probably enjoyed that part. And Lewis and Clark's men did too, because they were traveling across it, it had a lot of fat in their diet. So anything that had fat in it, they liked it. And, and this, this is called a dinosaur fish. Why is it called a dinosaur fish? 
I think because they basically, as you said, have not changed in, in millions of years. I mean, we can go back and find sturgeon in the same fossil beds where, where T-Rex and some of those species are. So Remember the symposium we had at Bozeman with the how to make fish as popular as dinosaurs? I do, I do. That was the one, yeah. And yes. there was those guys that, that wrote that book about it, and they had, they had gar, anyway, in a stream, and it was looking up at the dinosaurs, and the, the, the postscript was waiting for dinosaurs to die. Right. So these fish have been around. It's hard to believe, as long as dinosaurs. I've been doing a fair amount of reading, and, and, and many of those species, gar, alligator gar down in the south, are becoming popular again. People are starting to see that they actually had value instead of just being fish, trash fish that they wanted to get rid of. Right. Now that's neat. And so we have a landlocked population also in Kootenai Lake and Kootenai River, but they're not as big as these ones you're fishing for and you're talking about. But it is the largest freshwater fish in North America. And white sturgeon in Montana have been reported up to six feet in length and over 80 pounds. Well, an individual in Kootenai Lake exceeded 350 pounds and was 10 feet in lake. How long were the ones that you, what was the largest ones you guys caught when you went over there? Well, we were fishing in the Fraser, and I, okay. I've kind of had a goal. That's, they've had catch and release there for 50 years, so fish aren't harvested, and that's where that tends to produce the biggest fish. And I've been trying for years to catch a, a six-footer, hmm. and uh, I caught a six-footer. Then I thought, man, if I could catch an eight-footer, that'd be cool. Well, <laughs> the last hour of the last day we were fishing, we hooked into something that we couldn't budge for an hour until we finally beached it on a sandbar, and it was 11 feet long. Holy cow. What was that one you showed Colin and I on their video? Is that it? That's it. Yeah, 11 that's the feet one. long. And how, long, how, how heavy? Was it? Uh, they use a formula. You measure the girth and the length, and it, it translated out to 505 pounds. Holy cow, that's amazing. And Those A fish like that, John, they, they don't really have uh, age structure for it, but it's commonly thought they, they do have, you know, fish up to about six and seven feet that they've aged at about 45 and 50 years, so... It's commonly thought that those really large fish are 100 years old. Oh, you got to be. I'm Like I was telling you, I was aging shovelnose sturgeon in the Missouri, and they were up to 30 or 40 years old, and they're only two, right. three feet long. Right. So give us some more fun facts about the white sturgeon. Well, a couple of things that I thought were really interesting up there in the Fraser. One is that they really are keyed into using citizen science, if you will, to monitor those fish. They've got hundreds of trained volunteers, all of the guides and, and many of the sport fishermen, that they uh, run them through a program, show them how to do things, and then they have them collecting data. So they carry scanners to scan the pit tags. Pit tag is a small glass capsule with some wiring in it that will transmit a number when it's energized. And people put those in pets now, right? Yeah. Something very yeah, similar. Same, so same exact thing. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So every one of those sturgeon, they check them when they catch them. And believe it or not, there, there's so much of that activity. They have tagged over 75,000 sturgeon in the lower Fraser River. That's incredible. And about 85% of the adult fish that are captured out there already have a tag in them. So they can use all that to really estimate the numbers and uh, follow the age classes and determine you know, how the population is doing. And it's all done through the use of these volunteers. And is there any thought about the age, as far as age versus catch and release and how much survival there is in the ones they're releasing? Are they pretty confident they have really good survival when they're releasing a fish? You know, th that's another thing they track closely. And I was reading up on that in the 2020 report that they did. They require if anybody spots a dead sturgeon that they that they make note of it and let them know. So they try to retrieve them, and uh, believe it or not, they they found about forty some dead sturgeon in the course of the year, 
and almost all of them had succumbed to injuries from gill nets. There's a, huh. The Fraser is like the Columbia. It's got all types of anadromous fish and salmon runs and steelhead runs and, and uh, also a bunch of Native American tribal entities down there. So they're all working the lower Fraser with gill nets and stuff, mm-hmm. and occasionally people leave untended gill nets, and these fish get caught up and get all torn up. But they're almost immune to hooking mortality because you tend to hook them in that, in that big cartilaginous funnel that's underneath their mouth right. and uh, they fight and think about how large they are i mean they're not pulled up out of the water you basically just beach them and then release them and so they they fare really well under catch and release so describe the, the battle you had with the 11 footer <laughs> <laughs> well yeah we we went up there uh, use a guide guides are widely available they they have all the gear and stuff and probably the the coolest thing that I, one of the coolest things was that they actually go out and it's almost like hunting in that they use the sonar on the boat to target the fish. So we'd go into a run where these guys knew the fish were commonly laying and you'd start at the bottom and work your way up and you'd look at the sonar and you could spot individual fish. Mm. And because the sonar is so accurate, you could actually tell which ones were big fish and which ones were little ones. Because they're big targets. That's yeah, 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 yeah. It was just amazing. So we'd go along, and he'd go, oh, there's one. Oh, there's two. Oh, look at those three. Let's try it here. <laughs> and so you would literally fish for some fish that you had spotted on the sonar. And what did you use exactly? You got to use a, a fairly heavy weight, kind of a cannonball on there to keep it on the bottom. And, of course, they they feed they're well equipped to feed with scent. They don't. They have little tiny eyes. They really don't see well, but they can smell everything. So you use something stinky, and uh, up there in the Fraser, almost all of their diet is fish. A lot of salmon. In some years, odd odd numbered years, they have a big pink salmon run, so they eat a lot of di- dead and dying salmon. Mm-hmm. So we literally would catch like a zombie salmon that was floating down the river and use that for bait. A lot of fish eggs for bait. The really big one we caught on a head of a Chinook salmon. So you're allowed to use actual game fish for bait there. Yes, they are, yeah. And one other question I would have is, what is the most common thing used for bait? I mean, do they is that the most common, or do they use like Well, I, I was up there or? two years. No, well, everybody has their own specialty. I, yeah. You know, I'll say that. But up there, it seems to be salmon. Hmm. We used salmon eggs the one year, and it's, it's surprising. When you, when you would... Uh, you get your bait out there, and you get tension on the line, and you watch the rod, and you'd see just a little peck, peck, peck on there, and he and you'd wait, you'd go, wait, 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 and then you see another peck, peck, peck. Well, finally, after they maneuvered a bit, they would swallow it, oh. and then you don't have to set the hook with those circle hooks. They basically hook themselves, so it's game on, and the interesting thing was little three-foot sturgeon pecked the thing the same as a, as a nine-footer. I mean... So you really didn't know what you had until you leaned into it, and then now the those, battle's on. Those circle hooks, do they? Do, they're actually swallowing the hook, Does it, and that doesn't harm them, right? They don't sw- swallow it down into their gut. Oh, they, okay. they just maneuver it in their mouth. Oh, okay. So you're actually, if you grab one of those big sturgeon and pull their uh, cartilaginous mouth out, it's standing there a foot long. It's like a big vacuum hose. Holy cow. And so that's that's where they get hooked up. And, and and no, that doesn't hurt them. It doesn't appear to hurt them because they certainly don't see mortality associated with all the fishing. Well, this is a great example of, like you said, citizen science and another great example that where we can utilize a resource but not really harm it. And if somebody out there is listening to this and are getting excited and they would like to go try it, what would, what would be the first step they should take? Uh, first step is just use your Google, you know, go online. <laughs> You'll see 
if you Google fishing for Fraser River sturgeon or fishing for Columbia River sturgeon, you'll see a whole bunch of guides and they'll have a lot of pictures, a lot of video. One thing I didn't mention that I think just blows people away is these giant fish, when you hook them, they want to stay on the bottom, but eventually they come up and oftentimes they'll come completely out of the water. Oh they'll my. leap, clear the water next to the boat. And so you've got just, hundreds of pounds of fish uh, launching itself out of the it water. It just takes your breath away. Sounds like it almost would make other fishing seem pedestrian, you know? Yeah. yeah, well, it is. I mean, I'm hooked on it. It's like big game fishing. I'll be done. Well, Wade, thanks a lot for coming on. Thanks for all your service as a biologist over the years and really appreciate it. Well, thanks for your friendship, John. It's been a long, long, good ride for us. All right, Wade, thanks again. That's all the time we have for this episode of the FBCC Nature Journal. Thanks for joining us, and I'm John Fraley, and I'll see you next time.